All right, we're going to jump in. So if you would grab your notes and your Bible and open up to 1 John chapter 2. We're continuing our series, Get Real, and uh, began last time by, by introducing us to the fact that our culture tends to have a reality problem. Uh, on the one hand, there's this thirst for authenticity that you, you see showing up in a variety of ways, but there, there's also kind of this, this struggle to achieve something that is really authentic. And I don't know if you've, you've come across... Um, this, this genre on Instagram, there's a whole series of memes. We like to make fun of ourselves in this way, uh, but it's called Instagram versus reality. Uh, most of these I wouldn't be able to show you in this, in this setting, uh, but there's, there's a few funny ones like this. You've got uh, kids on Instagram versus kids in real life. You know, uh, on the left, he looks like he's ready to model for anthropology, uh, which all my kids always look dressed like that and ready to go. On the right, you know, he's probably the head of some terrorist network. He's just there to, to, to work malevolence and, and evil. And, and, and people kind of begin to, to do this. They'll, they'll post one version of a photo of themselves that's filtered and, and doctored and from just the right angle and just the, the right number of selfies that it, that it took to arrive at that, uh, that image. And then, and then post, okay, and, and here's me, when I, what I look like when I wake up on a, on a Tuesday morning. And this has kind of just taken over Instagram. I mean, even, even Tweety Bird is, uh, is, is getting pulled into this uh, discussion. Left, that, you know, th- those things, I- I'm glad finally somebody's bringing attention to this, because, which by the way, does the ice cream man ever come around your neighborhood? Do you, do you hear the jingle? Is, is he still showing up in Destrahan? You're running out with your quarters. Yeah, yeah. But, but this is just a classic example. Things are never quite what they packaged. I mean, that, that Tweety kind of looks like he just came out of rehab or something. He's, he's lived a hard life, so I don't know if that's really what you want for dessert. And then they've got kind of, you know, couples on Instagram versus reality, where in the same picture, you have both of these side by side, where you shift the angle and, and zoom in, and, and they're off, uh, I don't know, slapping each other in some sort of uh, fight. But, um, you know, th- this isn't just something that our our surrounding culture wrestles with, just awareness that we can we can put up a front, we can have some published version of ourselves that isn't really true to what day-to-day, boring, monotonous life looks like for us. Um, but, but the Christian world can struggle with this as well. Right? We, we can have our own reality problem. Right? What about you? What is your life really like? You know, is, there, is there a difference between what you, what you publish, so to speak, in the church world, in, in the youth environment, you come here on a Wednesday night, I'd say, but then you show up on school, but y'all, y'all, y'all have totally forgotten what school is by now, right? Between Labor Day and, and two days that, you know, school was canceled for the, the, the coming apocalypse, um, y'all about ready to get back by now, I'm, I'm sure, uh, yeah, and just to your... And excited, but you kind of have the, the school version of you, and there's the home version of you that your parents have to put up with when they're trying to get you to shut off your phone and go to bed. You know, they just have different varieties of what really is is you. You know, what 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 do you post in settings like this, so to speak, versus day to day life? And think about Christianity as a whole. Right? Is this real for you? Or if you're just being honest, is it familiar? 
Is it something that you've always known? You've always been around it? And so there's a, there's a measure of comfortability. You're fine. You know, your parents didn't have to force you to, to come tonight because you're used to showing up for church meetings. That, that's not something that, that, that places you in a, 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 just a posture of being uncomfortable because it's, it's, it's normal life for you. Or maybe it's, you know, socially rewarding. You, you get to come and see your friends and, and hang out and, and, and catch up with, with, with each other. Now, in, in, a, in a world where you're constantly connected, it, it has less of that incentive. You know, this used to be the place, like your, your one hope of seeing your friends for the week was the Wednesday night youth meeting. Uh, those days are gone. But there's still, there's, there's something that's kind of, it's, it's easy. Maybe, maybe you don't feel some of the same social pressures here that you, you do with some of the groups at your school. And so this is a setting that, that's enjoyable for you, and I'm glad it is. I want, I want this environment to be that way for you. But, but is there something more going on inside of your heart? A sense of the reality of the faith that you cling to. And, and we've been exploring that together. And and First and John is a letter is written to help us answer that question, to know that you're real. We saw the end of his letter, he kind of tells us, what am I doing here? And he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And and listen, there could not be a more important question than that. Now, we just, we're just aware of what's immediately coming our way, what we can see right in front of us, what's streaming through our feeds, but there is this thing called eternity, and it is coming faster than you know it. And what that's gonna mean for you and where you're gonna spend it, right? There could be no more relevant question that we could face. There's, there's nothing else you could ask Siri about that would be more pressing than, do you know? that you have eternal life. And so to help us answer that, he's, he's provided these three tests. And we, and we looked at the, the first one last time. Believe God's truth, right? We, we, we can know we're the real deal. If we believe God's truth, if we obey God's commands, we'll consider that one tonight, and if we love God's people. And here's kind of the main idea for this series, is if we believe that we are sinners rescued by Jesus, and if this leads us to obey God, and love other believers, then we can know that we have real faith. And so let's read this together. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. He writes this. I think I have it on the screen as well. And by this we know, right? We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Let's pray. Lord, we, we want this kind of certainty. Lord, the promise of assurance, Lord, in in a world that feels unpredictable, or we, we don't even know if the friendships we have right now are gonna be there for us tomorrow. Lord, so much is frenzied and spinning around us, Lord, that there could be reality and certainty that we could lay hold of. What blessing there is from your word 
that you provide that for us. But Lord, we don't receive that. We need to be listening. So Lord, Lord, help us. Whatever noise we've come into this evening with, whatever else is kind of roaming around in our minds, Lord, would we give you our attention? Would we be available to you and what you desire to do on us this evening? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You guys might be familiar with this picture. Uh, hunched over his desk with a razor blade in, in his hand, Thomas Jefferson turned to certain passages in, in the scripture and, and, and he would carve out certain sections. Sometimes it was a verse. Sometimes it was entire paragraphs. Sometimes it, it, it was chapters. This was the literal days of cut and paste. And, and he created his own version of the Bible. It was called the Jefferson Bible. So anything that was personally offensive to him, that he felt, you know, that's kind of incredible. Nobody can really in their right mind believe that portion. The, the, the stuff that made sense, the, the stuff that fit the times and the, and the culture that he, he felt, hey, this, this, this is good, helpful insight. He, he left that there, but, but anything that, that uh, unsettled him, he just sliced it out and tossed it on the, on the floor. And so section by section, portions of, of inspired scripture were, were considered irrelevant by him. And, you know, we, we might not be in, in danger of doing this. We'd have to first find a physical Bible in order to do it. So, you know, right there, that would be a, a problem for us. Um, but, but listen, we, we probably more so than in Jefferson's day, we have the same tendency what, what doesn't make sense to us, what doesn't fit the, the ideas that resonate in our culture, what, what doesn't seem like it works for our particular desires and vision for life, we, we just ignore it. It's places of, of God's word that, that are intended to speak authoritatively into every aspect of life. We, we're either just gonna not read it or, or it, it just doesn't take root in us, and, and, and here's a question for us tonight, right? Is this verse, 1 John 2, verse 3, by this we know, we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Is, is that verse in your Bible? Right? Is that verse functioning in how you see your life before God? Because John is saying here is wherever there's real faith, there will always be a heart of obedience. We, we can know that we're the real deal if we keep God's commandments. And, and notice how he puts it. He says, whoever says, I know God. So he's not talking about people that deny God. He's not talking about people that say, I, I've got a problem with God. I don't believe in him. He, he's describing people that they, they pass the first test. They believe all the stuff about Jesus that we explored last time. They're fine with the gospel. They're not gonna present any arguments against that. They feel like they're on board. They feel like they're fine with God. But the reality is you, you can know about God and not really know him. And John says that if, if you don't obey him, you don't know him. I think of it like this. Think of the difference between you know, we had some musicians up on the stage, now we have guitars, of a, a violin. The difference between knowing that these instruments exist, 
observing somebody playing them, maybe watching YouTube videos that provide instructions about how a guitar is crafted and how the, the resonance of the, of the strings create the, the, the frequency and the, and the sounds that, that come from the instruments, how to form a G chord, you know? And, and, and you can have all of that information. That doesn't mean you know how to play guitar. It doesn't mean you know how to play violin. You're, you're, you're not acquainted with the instrument in the way that comes from you're sitting down, you're picking it up, and, and day after day and hour after hour, you are spending time with it. And, and it's impacting you. And actually, you know, Nate, I don't know if you, if you uh, knew this, man. Where's, where's Nate at? So the, the side of your brain that controls your left hand is larger than most of ours because of, of all the time that it's spent working that, the fingering of that, of that instrument, right? It, it actually affects your, your neurological pathways over time change because of the time that you've spent with that instrument. Knowing it in that way has that kind of effect on you. And that's what John is saying about our knowledge of God. If you know him in a personal way, it will always have a transforming effect on you. It will mark you. It will be noticeable. There will be a difference. And because in, in, in 1 John, you know, being in a relationship with God is not just about adding new information. It's not just about believing the right things. It's not just about being able to answer the questions correctly in children's church, right? It's about an experience. There is an encounter that happens that changes everything. And he describes it as the new birth. He takes this language from Jesus. It's as, it's as significant and life-changing as if you were born again. You know, there's no more significant day in your life than your birthday, which is why we get really excited when it comes around. But, you know, literally, if there were no birthday, there would be no you, right? There was nothing that changed your destiny more than the fact that you were born. And that is the way that the Bible describes coming into relationship with God. It is a new birth. And, and, and you now belong to a new family. You're part of God's family. And like there is in many of your families, there's a family resemblance. Some of you look like your siblings, you look like your mom or your dad. You can see pieces of, of them in, in your face, in your personality, and how you respond to certain circumstances. Maybe you're tired of people saying you're still like your mom there, or that was your dad coming out there. And in the same thing, John's saying that in the, in the family of God, if you belong here, it shows up in your life, and it, and it looks a certain way. It looks like a new relationship with God's law. And one of the first things that children they, they should get introduced to is this concept of authority, because all of us we come out and we're looking to to call the shots, and we have opinions, and we have wills, and we. We have an understanding of how the universe should work and how it should operate. The problem is it's like a two-year-old understanding of that and it makes perfect sense why you should be able to have that uh, sucker right now and, and not be told no and not have to wait. And all that makes sense inside of your, your young mind. You know, why, why, why in the world would there have to be any removal of this kind of experience, right? But you, you, get, to, you get introduced early on that there is this authority outside of you that lays a claim on your life and that dictates what you can and can't do and that 
a life without authority, a life that's not ruled according to these principles is just chaos. I mean, if, if just come to my home and let my kids run the show and see how long you want to stick around for that. Well, in the same way, to be, to be born of God and to come into his family means to be introduced to his authority and to love it. So this is how he describes it, right? Whoever's born of God, he, he keeps his commandment. He keeps his word. And in him, truly, the, the love of God is perfected. You can't love God without this, this eagerness to, to know what, what has God revealed about himself? What does he expect? What does he desire? What does living a life that's pleasing to God look like? And so, something for you to, to ask yourself, do, do you know what's in this word? Do you, do you know the ways that it speaks to life? Do you, do you know what kind of claims that God's word makes on your speech? On what you're gonna say and not say and how you're gonna say it and what kind of tone you're gonna use when you're, when you're speaking to people. Maybe what kind of claims it makes on how you relate with those who annoy you and get on your nerves. And the, the, the next response, the, the, the next impulse that you have in that, in that moment, you're just gonna let that be free reign? Or is there an authority that makes a claim on what you do next and how you relate with your parents? On what you allow your eyes to see? How you go about relationships? And there's a lot of ideas out there we had several songs in our uh, emoji name that song contest tonight that they've got ideas about what relationships should look like, how they should be fulfilling. Are you aware that God's word speaks to these things? And, and do you have a desire to find out what that is? And when you find out to obey, are you paying attention? Now, how, how does that feel to you? What just kind of goes off inside of you? When I started introducing the fact that there's this thing called the law of God. There is this need to submit to the authority of God. Does it sound there like I'm just limiting your freedom? Just adding on regulations? You know, that, that's kind of how we, we see it. The only reason our parents would ever be motivated to say no to something is they just, they want to kill happiness, you know, they're just the villains of all things that are good and fun. And one day, I'm not going to tell my kids this or that. You, you tell your parents that, right? Well, what's behind that? It's this thought that if there's anything that's introducing something of life should look like this. It should have these kinds of parameters to it. It should include this and never include that. That's just layering on burdens. But listen to the way that John describes God's law. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And, all right, listen, is this verse in your Bible? Have you cut this one out? And his commandments are not burdensome. Is that how you experience them? That they're, they're no more a burden or a restraint on your freedom than the, the laws of physics that allow a bird to fly? Uh, 
or the blueprints for an airplane that allows mystery of mysteries, all of us and all of our weight to be soaring through the sky. Anybody wish the engineer ignored things like design principles and, and the laws of nature and just, I don't want to be constricted by those things when he created the airplane that you're going to ride away. You, you get to experience this amazing thing called flight and you know travel across the, the country in, in a matter of a couple of hours and would have, would have taken you 10 or 12 hours. Well, why, why is that? There are laws behind that. There's a designer behind that. There's engineering behind that. And, and God's law... He's the engineer of life. He's designed it to operate a certain way. And so we can, we can kick against that. We can, we can feel like I, I shouldn't have to pay attention to that. But this is God's invitation into freedom, into flight. You find God's commandments to be a restriction on what you're really after and what you really want to do. Your parents have to pull obedience out of you. They have to make deals with you. Whatever manipulation game you have going on in order for you to go along with their program. The, the way that John describes the new birth, something changes inside of us that fundamentally alters our relationship with God's law. Because not everybody experiences the law of God in this way. In our, in our sin, in, in the condition of fallen humanity, God's law shows up and it, and it frustrates us. It reveals how we're, we're unable to keep it. And in many ways, that's part of God's intention so that we would flee to Jesus as the only one who did it perfectly, the only one who was always a pleasure to his Father. And we get his obedience in the gospel. But, but something inside of us changes in how we see these realities. I don't know if you ever play with magnets. I mean, I like doing this with my, my son's train set. You know, the, the, those cars that they, they've got uh, kind of a positive side and a negative side and you connect them together and, and make it go along the track. But if you ever try to force the negative and the negative, you kind of reverse the pluralities, they're going to they're repel each other. But then you line them up and they, they, they pull together like that, right? There is inside just fallen human nature. We find God's laws to be repulsive. There's this, this, this resistance to anybody telling me what to do. And it goes all the way back to our old family resemblance, the Garden of Eden, right? Don't listen to him. He's just trying to keep you from everything that's good and enjoyable in life. You, you want to be wise in your own eyes. Right? That, that was the offer, and we bought that deception, and ever since, we've resisted the authority and the control of God. But to, to be a believer, John says, is, something switches inside of you. And, and now there, there's like this magnet that's pulling toward the, the, the true north of who God is and his character and, and, and his ways. And there's a desire. So we, we want that. I mean, it doesn't mean there's not struggle, failure, but, but there's struggle in the right direction toward what God has revealed for us, listen. If if you if you sit in sermons like this, Wednesday nights, time on Sunday mornings, and and you're playing mental games with the Lord, trying to figure out how much you're going to allow God to convince you that you really need to do something different, how loud you're going to let that no be, 
that the thing you're staring at and everything inside of you says, yes, I want that and it feels right, but there's, there's a whisper of conviction that's going on and you're, you're trying to figure it out, all right, at what point do I press mute on that? Or God, I'll, I'll give you this. I'll give you obedience in this category, but this, this over here is just gonna look like it's been looking for a while, right? Be concerned. John wants to raise a little bit of alarm inside of us when we're trying to live life on our own terms. Ray, Ray Orland says, too many professing Christians think that God's grace legitimates graded levels of commitment. His grace certainly does allow for failure, struggle, and growth. But we do not understand God's grace if we're asking questions like, what's the minimum I have to do to stay at my level of commitment? How can I maintain? The spiritual mind does not think that way. Authentic Christianity, right? Do you want real Christianity? You're comfortable with it just looking like this. It says authentic Christianity is not increasing levels of commitment grudgingly given to God. It is surrender to Jesus out of a sense of privilege of having him. That's why we started where we did last time, that sense of Jesus is the Messiah. He is the hope of my heart. He's the object of my longing. And there's just amazing privilege that he would be mine. And I would be his. So I want to serve him. And I want to please him. Does that arrest your heart? Are you inching along, making deals with God, making deals with your parents while everything inside of you fights for the thing that he says, no, it's not how I've designed life to operate for you. There's a new relationship to God's law. There, there are new practices and patterns as well. John writes this in chapter three, verse six. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. This is one of those little scary verses in the Bible. And, and, and actually the original language just says, no one who abides in him sins. But it's using the present tense there. And so the, the translation picks up on the fact that what, what John's talking about there is, is repeatedly sinning, going on in sinning, being aware that th- this, is, this is sin and, and allowing it to exist in your life so that it becomes a habit, so that it becomes something that you just return to again and again with, with a measure of comfortability with that existing in your in your life, and, and, and listen, the more that you go to sin, the easier it becomes. The more callous your conscience is, the, the more excuses you make, the more often that thought process starts to sound like it makes sense. You grant yourself permission because you start silencing that, that, that alarm on the dashboard, you start pressing mute on that, eventually you don't hear it anymore. Have you gotten used to a practice of cheating? Just allowing somebody else to do your homework assignments for you? 
finding out from upperclassmen what's on the exam ahead of time and, and getting what you need to know. And so you go into that test and, and you've already got answers ready. Looking on other people's work, partnering with people. Right? Is, is that something that you, you've just decided you're going to become okay with? And you're just going to let that exist in your life. You've gotten used to a practice of viewing things on your device and on the internet that you know you've got no business letting your eyes see. And initially there was a siren, there was an, there's, there was an alarm that was present for you, but you've just learned over time to turn down the volume. And, and, and that sense of, oh, this is wrong, this is not something that I should be allowing myself to see. It's there for a moment, right after, and then by tomorrow, it's gone. Have you given place to this in your life? Have you, have you gotten used to a practice of lying? Lying to your parents? Lying to your friends? And it's just become part of your native language. You, you don't even notice that you're doing it anymore because you've just become okay with telling some version of events that strategically doesn't include the very thing that they're looking to find out about, which is deception as well. I'm going to serve up for you this bit of information. I'm going to learn to, to keep this on the side. Make sure you're never aware of that. Or I'm just going to tell you something that's exactly the opposite of what happened. And it's just become so familiar for you. Have you gotten used to a practice of gossip, of flattery, of manipulating people, of, of playing the relational game where you're acting this way with this particular friend in person but behind their back, you're, you're, you're saying whatever it is is gonna move you up in somebody else's opinion. These are the things that John is talking about. And the question is, does anything inside of you scream about that? How long are you going to let that go on? Because what John raises, and he raises the question, and listen, there's a lot else in the Bible that we would need to pull in and, and, and help us in this. But right here, what we need to hear is, are you real? Or is this the Instagram version of you putting on a front? He goes on to say in verse nine, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God, right? Something has been changed. There's a, there's a new relationship to God's laws. There's a new relationship to sin. You, you don't see it in the same way. It doesn't come making the same kind of case to you, right? You, you, you were blind, but now you've been given sight. I mean, just imagine somebody who, they live most of their life blind, and then miraculously they, they, were, they were given the ability to see. And they're going to choose to return to being blind and live that way. Right? That, that's the kind of, the, this is what he's raising here. This just wouldn't make any sense. Picture this scenario. You, 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 you find yourself, you're in the dark, and you're holding on to something, and you, and, and you think it's like some treasured possession that you've always wanted, and the lights come on, and inside your hands are a cockroach. <laughs> uh, 
you're just going to flip off the lights and continue to hold it and say, this is great. This is what I've always... You know, you, you, there are certain things you can't unsee, right? You've seen the, the reality of what's behind that. And so what John is saying here is that new birth, it, it, it fundamentally changes how you see sin because God has planted his seed inside of us and it, and it grows and the spirit of Christ, his will, his intentions, his desires work through us. Ian Hamilton writes, not only is it inconceivable that as Christians we could want to continue living lawlessly in rebellion against the Savior who came to destroy the works of the devil, it is actually impossible for us to do so. Why? Because this sin-conquering Savior indwells us in his Holy Spirit and the great ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to make us like Christ, the Holy One. So God's Spirit resides in us. So sin becomes this sense of, it's an intruder. It's not the honored guest. It's not, it's not the one that I'm given place to. It's, it's the, the person of Christ and his character by the Holy Spirit that I, I, I want to make room for in my world. Years ago, Charles Spurgeon gave this, this illustration. He said, imagine if you, you had a certain best friend who was murdered. And he asked, could, could, would you take the, the gun, the, the murder weapon that was, that was used to kill him and bring it home? and like put it up on your mantle, like it's some trophy. And, and you know, people come over, you show them, yeah, here, here it is. Here's the weapon that did it. I was able to get it, right? It's just so disturbing. There'd be such hatred for that, such grief as to what it represents. And he says, our, our sin killed our Savior. It was the nails driven through his wrists on the cross. Can we love it? Can we treat it like a treasure? Can we make it a prized possession in our life? There's also new affections and new values that he describes. He speaks to what it is that we're after and and, and he creates this scenario in chapter two, verse 15 It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides Forever. And, and by world there, he's not just talking about all the people in the world. He's not talking about the earth. He, he's talking about this, this system, this fallen existence that, that's in opposition to God, that's alienated from him, that, that wants the exact opposite of how the, the designer has crafted the blueprints for life. It's humanity in, in resistance to who God is. But he, he's saying this, be aware, it makes a case to you. Every day, it comes with the, the desires of the flesh. It's appealing to your appetites. It's appealing to pleasure. It's, a, it's appealing to that sense of thrill and, and excitement and the possibility of, of this adrenaline experience that's gonna come into your life. It's appealing to the, the desires of your eyes. 
physical appearance, attractiveness, that looks good, that looks rewarding to the, to the pride of life, the sense of, of status and power, the opportunity that could come into my life, the amount of control I would be able to have over other people if I had that thing. And so that, that's what it's trying to get us to strive after. This, this world, it, it wants your eyes, it wants your affections, it, it wants your sense of identity and purpose. It tries to capture your imagination. It wants your heart. And every single interaction that you have with it is making that kind of case. It's not innocent. There's an agenda. And there, there are spiritual realities and forces behind it all. It wants your love. And it wants your life. Do you know that? Do you have a strategy for that? Listen, where, where, where John lands, it's a very strange way to end a letter to people. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. He wants to leave us with knowing there are counterfeits out there. Counterfeit hopes, counterfeit saviors that come making a presentation that this is gonna rescue you out of boredom. It's gonna give you the sense of you can be completed. You can be loved. You can be affirmed. You don't have to live a boring life. And they are all around you. And in the first century world, Roman culture, polytheism, idols literally were everywhere you went. You, you could not go anywhere. You couldn't go to the marketplace without seeing little statues and things and food that was sacrificed to them. They were all over. And, and, and listen, they are just as inescapable today. And they want you. They want what God and God alone has claimed for himself. Think about God's commandments, number one. You shall have no other gods before me. You, you need a strategy for that because they will only bring emptiness. Talking about what's real. You take two steps in that direction and you realize how fake it is. Right? We, we, we need to be serious about our fight for joy and satisfaction in God. That happens from knowing him in his word. It happens from taking it to our mind and taking it to our, our hearts. Ray Ortland says, this is authentic Christianity. This is reality. What generates real holiness is not fear of punishment, but fullness of heart. When you sin, when I sin, there's always a reason. Please ask yourself that, and please welcome other voices in your life that will help you see that. Because too often you just realize, all right, what'd you do? Well, I did this. Should you have done that? No. End of conversation, and you've got no further insight into what motivates you, why you do the things that you do. You're after something. And, and that came making a promise to you that felt reasonable and it made sense at the time. Right? You, you need to learn that about yourself. And he says, we sin because we believe that it's simply the price we have to pay for a taste of happiness, which is why we're willing to bargain for it. But sin is deceiving us. 
It does not deliver on its promise. It leaves only the bitter aftertaste of death. God promises us life. The Spirit moves in our hearts to trust God enough to fight for life and happiness and all we desire, not in sin, but in the ways of God. And so he says to to, to have the lights turned on in life is to see this, this fact. The world is passing away with its desires. Everything that comes making an offer for five minutes of pleasure and excitement and status here and now, it is, it's already dead and gone before you know it. And so what, what he does, what John does, is he, he brings us all the way up to that edge of eternity. And we want to know we have eternal life. He says, let's, let's stare into the destination where everything is heading. All the values and opportunities that this world in its opposition to God offers, it is, it's heading somewhere. And it's heading to emptiness and grief. But there's a day coming your way as well. And here's how he describes this. And Ben, if you'd come back up, man. In chapter two, verse 28. This is the new assurance that we can have. It says, now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. That's what we want. We want that kind of boldness. We want that certainty that I'm the real deal. Well, how do you get that? With confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. All right, so how can I get that? If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Right, that's the destination for history. Jesus Christ the, the one who's designed to be the hope of our hearts, he will return and he will be visible and he will be there for all eyes to see and, and you will either shrink back and retreat away from him in that moment or you will run to embrace the savior of your soul. And what John says is, okay, what, what makes the difference there? for you. Well, absolutely, it means you've, you've trusted in him. You've trusted the fact that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So why not shrink back at his coming because that's the same one who took all of my guilt and buried it in a grave and I don't have to bear any of that. But how do I know I'm connected to that? How do I know that's not just something that's on the outside of me that I've been around and become familiar with? And I, I could answer that question. I could tell you all about that in the same way that I could tell you, hey, here's what a guitar looks like. Well, he says that the difference comes in this. You've abided in his word. You've practiced righteousness. Because you know what happens when there are seasons where, where we give place to disobedience, 
And we just give it permission to have free reign in our lives. You know what happens? What gets unbolted in that moment is assurance. That sense that this matters to me. Well, it doesn't look like it matters to you right now. It doesn't look like the life or death difference that it is. And so what John says there is, he's coming back. What's your instinct right now? What if Jesus returned? Whatever way you're living, whatever you're given permission to operate in your life, you ready for that? You ready to have a conversation with him about that? You're ready for the, the, the evidence of the patterns and pursuits of your life to, to, to confirm, I trusted in you. I, I, I believe that you are my only hope. And anything that competed with that, I got away from it as fast as I could. So I, I can't take everything else in the Bible and qualify the reality of struggle, the, the, the fact that believers experience real failure and dramatic failure, and we will all walk through that. All I can say is what First John does is it says, okay, if, if you're feeling that sense of, I would lean away from him rather than toward him, why is that? What's going on inside of you? There's, there's no greater day to be prepared for than this. Ever have one of those big days coming up? You know, if it's an exam day or a day you, you've got to give a speech and you start having like nightmares that you showed up and you'd forgotten to prepare or that day you had a terrible hair day or, you know, you were in your underwear or whatever, you know. Uh, the big nightmares like for a bride to arrive at her wedding and, Everything is wrong. It just the, the bridesmaids decide to wear like these weird pink hot, you know, polka dot stripes or something. I don't know. Uh, everything's gone wrong. Um, this is this is the most important day of your future. And John's saying you you don't want it to arrive, and you're unprepared, and you're ashamed. And so what he says, be be ready by running as hard after God as you can. Let's stand together. Just in case you needed that message preached to you again, it's coming through right there.